Hi everyone, I'm Lottie. I'm Sam. And I'm David. And we're Shop Last Media. And in this week's podcast, we are discussing our favourite directors, of which there are just absolutely so many to choose from. Guys, where do we start on this? Uh, I say we let you take the reins since you're the uh, the director of Shop Last Media. <laughs> I know, but there's directors and then there's absolutely epic directors, aren't there? So, mm. you know... So many, so many different types of films, different people crop up. And I think as well with directors, it can change. Like you can follow someone for a while and then you get into someone else's work. It's quite hard, isn't it? Just to sort of pick one that stands out. Yeah, exactly. When, when we came up with this idea to talk about our favourite directors, I took a while ago, actually, who do, who do I choose? Like, you know, you could choose 20 or so that you could talk about. And uh, like I said, there's, yeah, when I was younger, there was a certain director and then, we're at college, you seem to like this other director, um, and then the next last 10 years, it's been another particular one. It really does vary, doesn't it? So it's quite tricky. Yeah, I've, I kind of have phases, especially when I was in uni and doing film studies. I was like, oh, I'm really into this director, so I want to write all my essays on him. And then I'd watch all these new films. I'm like, okay, I want to write my dissertation on him now. Then later on, I'm like, oh, no, I want to do this guy now. It's, it's spoiled for choice, really, aren't we? It's funny, isn't it, though, because you've just said You've just said guys, and there aren't really any mega female directors, are there? I think there's a lot more now. You've got like Sophia Coppola, uh, Lynn Ramsey, yeah, Catherine Bigelow. A lot, a lot of them are very much indie, lesser known directors. You don't see a lot of them in doing blockbusters, I guess. Uh, Patty Jenkins has done Wonder Woman films, and and Marvel have got a few women directors doing some of their uh, upcoming Phase Four films. So many to choose from. So, Sam, do you want to kick us off? Do you want to reveal who? I know it's hard to choose, but if you could, if you could only pick one, which is the subject for the podcast, then who would it be, and why? Uh, I've got to go for Quentin Tarantino. Uh, there's a lot sure? of reasons. I think my biggest reason is that I find his films there's there's like it's it's such a weird one because I think he's you know he's quite a controversial director. But every time I watch a film, I'm always expecting something different because yeah. he's he's a big genre filmmaker. He likes to, he's a big cinephile himself where he'll be like, okay, I want to make you know, a Western or now I want to make a samurai movie or a gangster movie, blah, blah, blah. So there's something new to his films every single time um, while still kind of having that same Tarantino format, you know, the violence, the boot shots, Samuel Jackson being in nearly every film. Yeah, yeah definitely got a style, hasn't he? <clears throat> yeah, but it's good because he uses different genres, and I like that. You know, Kill Bill and Django Unchained, they're both similar, but at the same time, they're so totally different because yeah. one's a Western, one's a samurai film. David, are you a fan of Tarantino? Uh, yes and no. Kind of used to be, you know, his earlier stuff, but the last few years I've been not that bothered of going to the cinema to see it, to see them, like, saw, like... Uh, Kill Bills, um, what was the other ones back then? Uh, Inglorious Bastards and Django. Yeah, but the last few I think I've seen. But yeah, it, well, it's similar to what Sam's saying. He's got his own style, but I think some of it's quite predictable. So that's why I think I'm just not so bothered, especially the fact that he's, he's very strict. He doesn't like using a composer or just have, you know, some radio music. He doesn't want the... Um, isn't it a reason that he doesn't want a composer to put their their touch on it? He wants it all to be his. 
Yeah, I think he's didn't he use um I can't what his name I can't pronounce his name, the Italian uh Western Anino Monroni or something. Yeah. yeah, he won a Academy Award, I think, for Hateful Eight. I think that's the only score I think he's actually done. Didn't he have to go didn't he meet him numerous times to beg him to come out of retirement and do it? I yeah, I think so. Yeah. That was a good score that. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that he I guess doesn't use the score, because if you think of other directors, certainly the one I'm going to talk about, score is an absolutely massive thing and a massive part of the film and part of this, you know, the, the storytelling and the emotions that go in there. So it's quite interesting, really, isn't it? If you think about it, that actually doesn't score is not a big part of his films in that sense. It's more about the visual side rather than the audio. Mm, I, I think that's interesting, though, because... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's no score. It's just music from the radio. Mm. But I quite like that because it, it immerses yourself into the, the world. You know, when they're driving around with the radio on, you can hear all the adverts and stuff, and you've got songs from that era. Obviously, sometimes a score is, is, is needed, I think, to convey certain emotions and such. But I think music's quite good at that. I think he's good at it because it does make me feel like I'm part of that, that world. Yes, Scorsese is another one. He's just got a really good ear for choosing the music – you know, music of that time to fit with a film he's doing. You know, like I just recently in the um, the Irishman and uh, Goodfellas as well, and, and Casino, just using music from that period as well as having a score. So, David, then who are you? Who's your favourite director? And why? I'd say from the last ten years, I'd say it'd be Christopher Nolan. Um, he's like he's sort of the only director in that time. Okay, no matter what what he does. I'll I'll go to the cinema and see it again on the biggest format. He likes he shoots more and more IMAX, so you know I'll travel wherever it's got the. There's only a few proper IMAXs in the country, so actually there is one quite local to here, so it's not so bad. But yeah, I'll go to cinema no matter what, no matter what it is, no matter how it's reviewed by people. Um, and why Nolan? I think there's a lot of. There seems to be an extra level of um, intelligence in his movies. Uh, even they're not just big summer blockbusters. There's extra levels to it uh it's artistic with uh the spectacle um for those who've not sure he is he's did all the uh dark knight trilogy uh inception interstellar dunkirk uh and tenet uh is due to come out in july at the moment it's not changed yet um i actually saw the uh the five minute prologue to that a few months ago at imax and that was and that was incredible so that was you know i'm Better than almost better than the film I was actually watching. <laughs> Went to see it with um, Nolan. What about Nolan? Like one of the quirks that he does that always that's always interesting me is he likes messing around with time. Uh, like Memento, the main character. That yeah, was complicated to watch, though. I must admit, it's quite that's quite a complex film. Yeah, because he has a fifteen-minute short-term memory, so he's got to write, keep writing notes or tattoos. You know, so the it's, the you know, the audience piece of story together kind of as he discovers things um what else inception is just dreams in dreams in dreams in dreams and they're all running at different speeds uh interstellar i think that's my favorite the only one is space time travel black holes uh like one particular scene uh like a few of them go down to the planet surface so one hour on the planet surface is seven years for like the spaceship orbiting the planet, and they think they're going to be about half an hour. Things don't go wrong. It takes them a few hours, and they're like 20, 25, 26 years or whatever 
they've been actually away. The other guys on the ship. So it's really interesting how time is stretched. You know, if they've for them they've gone for a f- like a few weeks, but when they go back to Earth, they've been gone for hundreds of years. It's interesting you say that, David, because I even I remember writing an essay on Dunkirk and time because Dunkirk, while it's not, it's just a, it's a war film. It's nothing special. It's very much one of his is more, you know, <laughs> relaxed kind of films. But even oh, yeah. then, times used so much in that, you know, all the different stories are taking place at different times. You can always hear this like little tick in the background and stuff, and people are checking their watches. It's always, it is still a big theme in that as well, which is good. Yes, the evacuation of, what's it, 300,000 soldiers, but three storylines. One, take, one story is told over the course of a week, one is told over the course of a day, and one course of an hour. And they all kind of cross over and eventually all join up at the end. But interesting, feel like you're saying, like, if you're watching that all linear, it'd be no way as interesting or as good, would it? It's kind of like, could you, would you, you could say that of Pulp Fiction and any other Tarantino or even Memento. Like, if you watched it just in the linear, chronologically, then it's just not as interesting. I do like his films. I think they are quite heavy, though. You know, you've got to kind of be up for one of his films and in the mood for it i would say because it's it's not they're not easy to watch you know it's not something you can kind of slightly zone out of and then zone back in and you're still very much within the story and know what's going on you have to really stay quite focused and attentive to what's unfolding and happening especially with the use of time because you know if you miss one bit you're kind of missing that chink in the chain aren't you yeah i mean there's those few I just mentioned, it's like the more you watch them, the more you like appreciate it because you're picking up things you didn't notice before. Like the first time I saw Interstellar at the cinema, I didn't think it was that great. I was really kind of confused and didn't get it. And then watching it a second and third time, really appreciate it more. And I think it's now a favourite one of his. Cool. How about you then, Lottie? Who's your, uh, your favourite filmmaker? Well, I've got to go with the a household name really I guess Hollywood classic uh, as it is um, Steven Spielberg I think he's just you know he's a mega director he's, he's probably the most well known well he's got to be the most well known I think everyone knows who Spielberg is or has at least watched one of his films over the years and I think for me I guess his films hold the special place because it is that nostalgia um, you know growing up in the 90s that's when so many of his big kind of blockbuster films came out. You know, he's got Jurassic Park, E.T., you know, Indiana Jones. And, you know, I grew up with with all of those films. And, you know, a lot of his stories centre around family and adventure. And you just kind of ordinary people, I guess, in these extraordinary circumstances. So you feel like you can really connect with his films because you've got a sense of, you know, it, it could be you in one of those films with this unfolding story. And, you know, it, it kind of follows that kind of classic linear style, I guess, with his. It's just good it's classic storytelling techniques, really. I mean, he's, you know, everyone knows when they've watched a classic Spielberg film. I think one of these big trademarks is that... um it's kind of dubbed the Spielberg face so it's that track or dolly zoom in so it's an extreme close-up of a of one of the characters and they're generally looking off screen and reacting to something that they're seeing and obviously the audience is 
reacting to the emotions that they're seeing in the character and then obviously it reveals what they're looking at. You see it a lot in, you know, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Colour Purple. It's in so many of his films, I think. And it, it's it's a very simple technique. Um, he was sort of the first to use it and, and I guess show how effective that kind of emotional storytelling technique can be part of the film. The one that came into my head was Jaws when he's on the beach and it just kind of, it is like a proper zoom though. It feels like Stanley Kubrick's doing it and it's like a, and he obviously yeah. looks out into the ocean. It's that little boy, isn't it, with the shark? Yeah, I'm glad you've said Spielberg. He's definitely in the top three, top five of mine if I had to list that many. And for similar same reasons, the, uh, yeah, the magical and the um, nostalgia and like just growing up with those, yeah, I remember Jurassic Park, maybe the first one I saw at the cinema. I saw that at the cinema and it just blew me away. I remember going with a friend and he was really scared. He spent half of the film <laughs> cowering under his mum's jumper and I was just on the edge of my seat like, yeah, I'm loving it, dinosaurs. <laughs> it was great fun. I think it was the first, first film I went to see twice at the cinema. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park is probably one of those films that's that's certainly it's one of my favorites of his and you know i probably watch that once a year maybe which you know for an older film um you know says something and i think the the amazing thing about that film if you've watched any of the behind the scenes on it is just the the three um the 3d and the animation that was done in that film was just so far ahead of its time and even watching it now it doesn't it, it feels dated in 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 other senses but not necessarily through the the animation side which is incredible really yeah it still looks better than some some modern films i that's always say to other people like the um the t-rex paddock scene like that cg is a lot better than some other films and it's what 25 years old yeah, I'm, I'm much more of a fan of his older stuff than his newest stuff. So I feel he's maybe sold out a bit now. But like in his prime, he was, you know, he did. He was pretty masterful. Yeah, he was. He was the number one for that period, wasn't he? But yeah, I kind of agree. The last ten years or so, um, it's just a bit meh. It's just a bit schlocky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like Ready Player One and all that. That's why I think Nolan's taken over for me in that time, yeah. He produces a lot, doesn't he, now, and sort of sits on a lot of films as an exec. So I think he oversees quite a lot of stuff rather than directing quite as much these days. I think the next one he's doing is he's doing a remake of West Side Story. Yeah, a musical, yeah. There's War Horse, though, that he did, which oh, was in 2011. Mm. And I think that was... A really, really good film. Really yeah. enjoyed that. And that that's obviously within the last sort of 10 years, isn't it? Just. Yeah, I'd say actually that's one of my favourites by him and I just totally forgot about it. But it is a brilliant film that year. But if you get, if it's similar thing what we're just saying about uh, trademarks and quirks, it's, um, the key thing is it's similar with uh, a Nolan as well. It's um, always working with the same crew, whether it's cinematographer, composer, uh, writer to an extent to getting that having that consistency of you know Christopher Nolan always has Hans Zimmer as far as I can remember he kind of switches between the you know same well 2D different cinematographers um, same production designers I think it's been 
Um, Spielberg's the same, isn't it? It's always been the same. Well, pretty much the same. Yamius Kaminsky has always done every film for the last like 20 years. John Williams, every film pretty much were 95%. Well, I think it gives it that. I mean, that's the thing with directors. If they're using the same teams, it, it gives it that their kind of trademark stamp, doesn't it? Because it's, you know, it can't just be one person. As we know with filmmaking, it's a huge team effort. It's getting everyone in there and all of their individual skills and coming together for that kind of winning combination. What about Tarantino then, Sam? Does he reuse a lot of the same team or is he a bit more rogue? Um, I don't know. I think, I think like, I think his actors, his use of actors is he uses a lot of the same actors. Uh, like, obviously, as I said, Samuel Jackson, Leo and Brad have been in a couple of his films now. Uh, you know, Harvey Keitel, Kurt Russell, a fair few. Um, in terms of, like, his style, though, I mean, he uses a lot of, you know, those boot shots where the camera's in the boot and you open up the boot and you can see, like, three characters looking down, you know, as if there's someone in yeah. the boot and they're looking up. That's quite a, an iconic one. He's obviously got the feet shot as well. Everyone kind of, like, takes the mick out of him because he's always, like, filming the feet and stuff. And I think it's just kind of become a joke with him now where he's like, oh, I'll keep doing it. You've got to um, get it in the film. Yeah. <laughs> And then obviously, you know, he's got his violence and his swearing, but I think he's he's known for being like the king of dialogue because his his dialogue yeah. is so interesting and it gives a lot to the characters that a lot of films don't like. You know, and you've got a lot of very long, tense scenes, like there's the scene in Reservoir Dogs with the you know, the, the tab, and then you've got the Inglorious Bastard scene where all where you know Michael Fassbender's dressed up as a Nazi and he's trying to infiltrate them and he's sat around that table and having playing that game. And there's so many like long scenes like that. And the tension is is insane, and it's it normally just comes from the dialogue and how the characters look at each other and act. And there's so many. I think he's got at least one of those scenes in every single film, and they always pay off just in the right way. You know, it's it's really satisfying. He writes as well as directs, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't think he's. He might have co-wrote. Uh, I think he co-wrote Death Trap or Death Proof, sorry, um, with someone else. But mostly, yeah, he has wrote every single one of them. And I think he does a lot of the cinematography. Not all of it. I think he just helps out now and again um, where it needs to be. But, yeah, and editing as well. I think he's got a lot of – he's got a lot more control over it. Yeah, he seems like one of those directors, doesn't he, that he's very much – he likes to be the centre of it all. The, the auteur, that's what they call him, the auteur. Well, that, that brings me on to a bit where I don't like, like – like he likes to just pop up in a cameo. That like, really just annoys me and takes me out of it. I know in Reservoir Dogs, he's one of the main characters at the start, but and Pulp Fiction that, that seems to work. But only thing else, just like oh here he is. It's like in a Marvel film. Hitchcock used to do that, didn't he? So I guess he's sort of copied it from him. Yeah, I suppose the thing with Hitchcock though is he never probably acted. He was just kind of in the shot. Whereas Tarantino's like, you know what? I'm going to do a full scene in an Australian accent. I can't do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not subtle at all. Just, yeah, right in your face. This is my film and I'm going to have this few minutes in it. Yeah, it definitely comes across as one of those directors, I think, that is all consuming in a sense. He kind of loves himself um, and that's that. I guess it's because he, he, he only makes, he's only making so many films as well. One is that right? Left. He's got one more left, allegedly. But I guess a good segue, David, from yours, you know, talking about... Um, partnerships and, and scores and things like that and working with the same team is, you know, the John Williams and, and Steven Spielberg partnership. And, you know, I think they've worked together on 
every single film apart from Colour Purple. I think that's right. Um, and they complement each other so, so well. I think it was just, it's like a match made in heaven. I mean, if you think about Jaws, um, and that film as well did put Spielberg on the map. I mean, if you think about the Jaws motif, the da 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 I mean, it's, you know, you go swimming in the sea, you end up doing that through a snorkel. Do you not find? Well, I do. Might just be me. You see, it, you see that a lot in, like, lots of different TV and media and stuff where they use that trope, you know, the, they might change up the rhythm of how it, you know, you know, but it's so, that's so iconic, that, 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 that music sting, isn't it? It is film. I mean, Jaws. You know, it 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 created the you know what is now known as the you know the summer blockbuster film. That's that was where it all started, really, with that film. Um, and you know, the the relationship has gone on and on, and it's just I don't know. I think it's a it's a great partnership. Yeah, so Indiana Jones, E.T., uh, Jurassic Park. They really, you know, people recognise those, if any part of that music played, aren't they? Those themes, they really stand out. People can name them. It's iconic, yeah. as you say, yeah. You might catch me if you can. Like, that's quite, that's not very blockbustery, but that, that is a really iconic tune as well that's used quite a bit, you know, for just a simple kind of like, you know, this crime drama. That tune always sticks with me. Yeah, 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 and it, it just it just made it. You know, I mean, obviously it's Spielberg, so it's not it, you expect him to make these big blockbusters, these very like franchisey, quite you know, family driven films. When you get something quite you know dramatic and a bit more serious, he still manages to have a really iconic theme tune for that. Yeah, if you go the other way, what I was remembering it, Save It Private Ryan, like the opening twenty minutes, the other way around, no music, just all. Um, sound effects of what the characters are hearing and seeing what's going on on the uh, Omaha beach. It's not easy watching. It's like Schindler's List, you know. I guess with um, Spielberg, he sort of has picked a few genres. I guess unlike Tarantino that's kind of done a bit of everything, I think most of his films have kind of fallen into, you know, either the his- historical, the sci-fi or the adventure films generally. I mean you know, give or take. It's an interesting mix though, isn't it? You know, going from family films to doing these very heavy war films and stuff, drama. Uh, Yes, I think that gets us on to um, the final bit of like, what would, for each director, what would be our kind of desert island uh, free films for that particular director be? You know, if you could only take free films on your laptop or however you want to watch it, uh, what would it be? So, um, Sam, Tarantino, what free would you take? Oh, um... I'd 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 bring Django and Chin because that was like the first proper one that I fell in love with. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's fantastic. Uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I'd bring that, um, and I'd bring Inglorious Bastards because I think that one's just it's it's wacky. It's actually quite serious in places as well, and I love what they do with you know the, the whole changing history and stuff. And that follows in quite nicely to One Spawn Time in Hollywood, which I also really like. It's probably one of my new favourites by him. It was very different for him as well. And it, it, it is something similar to Inglourious Bastards, which won't spoil, but it, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a really good movie, that. So I really enjoyed that as well. I must admit, it was 
I don't know. I think they it, seeing Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt alongside each other, I think, worked really well because they're, they're two really big actors, aren't they? And you think, mm, how's that going to play out? But both of the characters were big in themselves, just in different ways. Uh, how about you, Lottie? Which three would you take from Spielberg? Well, I think I'd have to go back to some of his older stuff, naturally. I mean, Jaws, that Jaws is, is probably one of my all-time favourite films. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a film from the 70s. <laughs> the shark looks totally unrealistic in, in a lot of scenes. Um, but I think the, the drama and, you know, it, it's just one of those films that resonates and sticks with anyone and... You watch it and you're terrified of the sea going in the water again. And it, it's kind of just made everyone, not everyone, scared of sharks, but I guess the unknown. Um, so I remember watching that when I was, I can't remember how old I was, probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something. And I just, yeah, it blew me away. I've, I've loved it ever since. So that, that would have to be definitely on there. Jurassic Park as well, again, from the nostalgia point of view. First film that I saw at the cinema um, and then it's got to be the Indiana Jones trilogy, probably Raiders, if I had to pick one of them. I think the original was the best one out of the three. Although, I don't know, it, it just depends. But And that, funnily enough, I remember watching that film and thinking, I really want to be, because it was Jurassic Park as well, as well, of course, playing on the same time. I was like, oh, I really want to be an archaeologist. And then... I remember my dad taking me somewhere where there were archaeologists working. I was like, what are they doing? They were kind of scratching away at the surface really, really slowly somewhere. And then he was like, oh, they're archaeologists. And I was like, nah, it's not for me. <laughs> so I just, I think it was obviously clearly the adventure um, side of those films that capture my imagination as a, as a child and they, they'd stick with you. So, yeah, it would have to be those three. Mm. What, um, David, what would you take then? Your Desert Island, what three films would keep you going? Um, I think the, uh, no particular order. I'd say, um, the, as Batman's always been my favourite uh, comic book superhero film, and the best one I think is uh, The Dark Knight, so I'll definitely take that. Uh, I've always loved sci fi, so Interstellar, be of that, and war films have always been some strange obsession with, so Dunkirk. So it'd be, yeah, Dark Knight, Interstellar and Dunkirk. We could all do swapsies if we were on the same island. It's like, okay, well, if it was Spielberg, I'd probably go... Um, I'd go Last Crusade, as my Indiana Jones pick. I really like that one. Um, yeah. I'd then probably go War Horse and then Catch Me If You Can. Those, I think, would be my top three for him. And then if it was Nolan, it would be The Dark Knight. Um, it would be Memento. Yeah, Memento. And then, oh, I don't know. I like Insomnia, but I might, I'm going to go Dunkirk. So Dunkirk, Memento, and Dark Knight. Yeah. What are you, Lottie? Um, Tarantino. I, di I, I did really like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as a newer one. So that would go on there. Django, so similar to you, I think that was a, a really well-told story. Probably, I don't know, I think I might have to go for Pulp Fiction, you know. All-time classic, isn't it? Mm. And then 
Christopher Nolan. Hmm. Don't know a huge amount of his films. Obviously, I love The Dark Knight. Grew up as a massive Batman fan when I was when I was little, so that would definitely be on there. Interstellar I liked because I didn't understand it really um, initially, and I did watch that one again, like you said, David. So I think that because it was complex. And Memento, I think, is a really nice play on the time difference and, again, complicated, but a unique sort of film. So it probably have to be those three for me. Cool, yeah. Um, for me, Tarantino, I'd say, yeah, Pulp Fiction, definitely. Uh, Jackie Brown. I've tried hard to think of the third one. I haven't seen um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so. But from what everyone says, especially especially Sam, it should be on there, but <laughs> I'm not sure. So if the third one would either be. I would flip a coin between uh, Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards, yeah, so. Um, Spielberg. Yeah, definitely Jurassic Park. Again, which Indiana Jones? Um, I think Raiders. Yeah, be Raiders. And a third Spielberg one. I don't know. Like, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind always, always drew me in and got not emotional. The same could really um, resonate with that film. I think. Yeah, I think Close Encounters would be the one I'd take. If we're allowed to take these extra discs to our islands, yeah, it'd be Close Encounters, Raiders, and yeah, Jurassic Park, just to be a bit different. So three very different directors, lots of different films, some nostalgia, some historical, some interesting styles, all very different. I think, you know, if we all ended up on a desert island together, I think we'd definitely have enough films between us to keep us going, don't you? Mm -hmm, indeed. Yeah, I'll see us again sometime, but yeah, pick some other directors and see what that combination might be. Thanks for tuning in. They're three of our top directors. The list is endless. There are really too many to pick from, but we had to pick three and our top three films, so we managed to do it. So thanks for listening and tune in to find out more about some of our other podcasts and other film and movie trivia that we'll chat about. Speak to you soon.